Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode 2023.9. As usual, I'm joined with Phil. Hey, Phil. Hey, Rohan. How's it going? Good. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and ESP Home projects. Configurations done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certs, or any YAML. All right, Phil. What's new? How's it going? Uh, 2023.9. So September uh, is a big month in Home Assistant land, uh, and mm-hmm. this September is a huge month. Um, so we've yep. got Home Assistant turning 10 years old, uh, which is awesome. And yep. we've also got Nebukasa celebrating their five-year birthday mark too. So, uh, yeah, amazing achievement. Like, I to think like you know, is, 10 yeah. years ago, right, like Paul was just, you know, fiddling around with some Python scripts to get some Philips Hue bulbs to turn on and off when he wanted to. And here we are now, right? There's uh, so many employees at Nebukasa. Uh, we've got a whole community says, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Really cool. That's uh it's the project itself has evolved so much since then too, right? It's uh, yeah, just right. starting out as this, like even the UI has evolved, like so many elements of it is, have evolved, right? So it's yeah. just uh, really cool. So yeah, uh, there's going to be some, uh, I think there's a release party for 2023.9. I'm not sure if there's going to be a separate birthday event, um, which I'm pretty sure there is. It's going to be like a um, a birthday celebration event live stream happening mm-hmm. um so watch out for announcements around that um there should be some yeah hopefully some cool birthday presents i'm hoping for um yeah that's wicked but otherwise uh it's 2023.9 so a whole new release right yeah um, so the biggest feature out of well the biggest change in this release which is something i don't think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already using Home Assistant, so you're not going to really yeah. see if that makes sense. Um, and that's the new onboarding flow. So that is when you set up Home Assistant for the first time. It's one of the first things off the product development lifecycle that Nabucast has got with a whole new product team and product manager and yeah. all that. So, yeah, there's a whole new design. Um, they've cut out a whole bunch of questions. Um, so, for example, if you put in your location as uh, Canada or Australia, it will know, uh, it won't ask you what currency, right? It's going to know you need Canadian right. dollars or Australian dollars, right? Standard right. stuff. Same with uh, things like measurement units. It's going to be smart enough to work out who's using metric, who's using imperial, um, so it can just cut those out and the flow looks like much nicer, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it actually, f- it doesn't feel like you're setting up a development environment when you would do with home assistant, right? You have to go into YAML and copy these things around or any of that crap, right? Like it's perf- like, it looks like a, an actual yeah. app that you would buy from a system, uh, buy from a, a vendor and you could give it to your mum and dad and allow them to go through a setup wizard and, and set it up. That is very cool. So, yeah, yeah. I think, it's, and this is, you know, going to make getting into home assistance so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Something we always talk about, right? Like how do you, mm. how do we bring more people onto the system kind of thing? Yeah. It reminds me a bit like I, uh, when I've had a, probably Z-Wave boxes was a, a Vera, like, and it had like a similar, like it had a UI, mm-hmm. right? And I thought, oh yeah, it was clunky, but it was still like, it made sense, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It spent a bit of time. Yes, it didn't look that great. It looks dated. Um, but you could still kind of muddle your way around it. Like I could say, all right, it's not as technical, 
technically advanced as I'm looking for, but it's still simple enough for the average Joe to use. And I think the team have done a great job in this new flow, um, you know, to the effect that, you know, you go through the setup flow and then one of the, uh, as it's going through, it'll discover devices on your network as home assistant can do and go, okay, cool. Now you set up home assistant. Hey, while you're here, do you want to configure the ESP home device that we've discovered on your network? The Apple home kit, you know, device that we've discovered. Um, hey, we can see there's a ZWJS server over here. Let's link that up too. Um, right. Do it all at that one point, right? And then people are in the setup and away they can go. That is super nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, uh, I think I think it's those little things that make the make the difference, right? Like it's, um, yeah, s- small incremental pieces that kind of make make the platform overall better. Uh, even yep. though this isn't one that I won't like, I won't see you won't see Phil like you said. Like uh, I, I just think it just makes the whole thing a little bit nicer. Um, yeah. All right. Um, tile card. So there's a couple of new features to tile cards. Um, so for example, changing modes for climate devices and such. Um, so let's start with the first one. So light cards now can set the color temperature covers can now set positions, tilt angles. Um, so it's ex- exactly like the existing mushroom card. So, which is actually very nice. Um, if we remember a while ago, they changed a couple of these cards as well to be more like, I don't want to call it homestyle uh homestyle ask. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, but but it is it is kind of similar to like that, like you get that giant blob of like for a cover, yeah. for example. It's like, yeah, have slider up, do you want up, down, how do you want it? Um, and where do you want it? So I guess this it's nice it's now nice that you can actually go in and say, Okay, I want to set it to like forty three percent or something specific like that. I do like um in as part of the update to the um uh, the climate more info dialogue got a whole new mm-hmm. rework as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, that like I just like it. It makes it so much easier, right? I've been using the beta, um, and just to be able to, you know, it was a pain in the the bum to try and work out what mode to set like a thermostat on. Like, is it auto cool or like, or it was you know a drop down that just looked ugly. Now it's a little button mm. down the bottom. Set it to heat. Um, you've got auto, you've got the two dials and it makes, yeah, it's, it looks really slick. Yeah, that is, that is pretty nice. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, it's a lot of cool, uh, cool work going into that. So. Mm. Um, but I think if 2023.9 has anything going for it, I think it is this feature. Um, <laughs> and that is, uh, there is a whole new platform, uh, called lawnmowers so you know you've got your light domain you've got your switch domain you've got your vacuum domain now there is a lawnmower domain so yeah. now if there are smart lawnmowers um in the world which there are of course they can now integrate with home assistant and there's now a new lawnmower uh platform available for them so i think there's a few uh releasing um in 2023 2023.9 um, mm-hmm. Or there's a way you can get some brands in via a third-party library to then um, talk over MQTT into Home Assistant. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah, I've, I'm really excited to uh, see Lomo's one because Lomo's smart Lomo's at least are typically seen as expensive. So the fact that yeah. now the open source community is getting behind you know bringing these in to the local home environment in the local home uh, means that hopefully they can get some maybe cheaper ones to work in home business, which makes them more appealing than having to go to a whole six, $7,000 yeah. lawnmower, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that is very nice. 
Now I need uh, now I need a smart lawnmower. <laughs> Never ends. All right, so helpers. Uh, you can now set up a template sensor from the UI. So if you remember, traditionally, that's been something that's always been done in YAML because it was always considered something advanced, right? So, um, and then setting things like uh, unit of measurement, device class, so on and so forth as well. So that's nice there. Uh, there's also a live preview on the UI. Um, so, Phil, what what does that mean? Like, I know I know you were, you were on the creators call there so yeah so now like when you're creating a template um mm -hmm. you can use the templating like uh, debug tools in the developer section to render a template to make sure you know you haven't got any errors in your template they've also now um as you're creating the new helper template at the bottom of the dialogue where you're entering your ginger code to create the template sensor they'll actually render mm -hmm. what the value will look like or what the card will look like in a dashboard um, based on what options you're setting. So if you've typed out your, or you've copied and pasted your template and you've got right. the sensor values reading, let's say you're putting as a temperature sensor, you choose yeah, you know, yeah. the temperature units, it will now display uh, a live view of, okay, this sensor would actually render 20 right. degrees Celsius on the UI. Right on the bottom there, it'll kind of show yeah. you what it looks like. That's nice, yeah. that's nice. And that's also helpful for things, you know, um, like when you're using a binary sensor, let's say you want to change what type of binary sensor it is, you know, do you want to uh, use just on-off or would you like to then, maybe it's a smoke sensor, so you want to um, go, is it safe, not safe, or open, closed? Um, right. So, yeah, you can actually see how those how your template reacts to the value. Because sometimes it gets confusing, right? Is a door that's yeah. in the state of on, does that mean it's open or does it mean it's closed, right? Right. Now you can right. use that live template uh, view to see that you've got the, the values around the, wrong, the, values around yeah, yeah, the right yeah. way. That that makes sense. I mean, that, that is actually pretty neat that, uh, that like, that's very handy having a live preview in there. So... Um, also, groups can be set up from the UI now. Um, so, and if you set devices up that have numbers in it, you can kind of say, okay, do I want to have the average or mean values in there, right? Mm. Um, uh, which is pretty nice, um, rather than just having like a group, like entities, like a group uh, sensor. So you could always so you could previously set up groups from the UI, like add multiple yeah. devices to a group, but now but you can I also do a group entity which takes its values from multiple entities. Correct. Correct. Sorry. Yeah. So like, again, thing like a like median temperature. So like, what does that look like through the, through the entire house or whatever that yeah. is, right? Like, so that's nice there. Um, yeah. All right. And if you're sorting by a controversial, this is the one that comes up the top of the list. I think <laughs> the weather uh, get forecast service is a new feature in home assistant. So now against the weather, domain there is a get forecast service that you can call against a weather entity um, and that will then return you and when you're doing a service call to that entity you can specify do you want it uh, for the daily forecast or the hourly forecast and it will spit back the appropriate forecast that you've requested so now you can do things you know for like for example when you're using the assist you can ask it you know what's the forecast it will then do a live request to your weather service and get the forecast so same thing, you know, in your automations, do a service call and then return that data using that um, those return values. The controversy, of course, now becomes as part of the breaking changes. Um, the forecast attribute against a weather entity has now been deprecated. Now it's not going to be removed for six months, but I think 
this one, I think a lot of people using automations, for example, what's the forecast for tomorrow? And everyone looks at that right. using their weather uh, entity and looking at the array that is the forecast attribute that is going away as of March 2024. So I think there's going to be a lot of integrations, essentially every weather integration, doesn't matter if it's home assistant or a custom one from Hacks. I know I've got a, a, bomb, a local Australian weather Bureau of Meteorology that's from Hacks that needs to be updated now. I'm getting a warning about that. So uh, I'll have to update any automations that reference like the weather of tomorrow, right? I have a, right. I've got my weather script that says, you know, it reminds me, you know, okay, it's going to be sunny tomorrow with this temperature. Do you want to schedule some washing so you can get the washing out early, right? Um, that All those sort of types of automations are going to have to change now. Yeah, yeah a lot of people have uh, automations for weather based on like, hey, go water or like water the grass, like turn on the sprinklers or not yep. or something like that, right? Like it's uh, – so there's – you know, stuff to consider there. Um, if you do have any automations based on the weather, um, you may want to re- rethink uh, or rebuild those potentially. Yeah. Um, but like you said, Phil, I guess you do have a bit of time. You don't have, it's not like front and center right now unless, uh, and and that notification will eventually bother you and make you do it. So <laughs> it. Well, uh, the notifications against uh, plat- like integrations that use... Yeah. That actually, it won't actually alert you like if there is an automation. Yeah, in your, your automation or template, is doing that's correct. It's correct. still doing it. So there could be something hiding in your YAML or somewhere that you haven't no, you haven't noticed yet. Yeah, yeah. And just to get the vibe up a little bit more, uh, local Bluetooth gets faster again, so that's nice. Um, it's been uh, I think it was showed love a couple of episodes ago, if I'm mm. not mistaken. Uh, maybe it was the last episode, uh, but uh, yeah. So there was a bit of stuff where there's improvements in um, in the local Bluetooth ability there, and uh, it's just getting better and better. Love that. All right. Um, All right. In terms of new integrations, O Power integration gets New York City power support. So if you're in New York City, there you go. You've got now the ability to see what your electricity usage is. That's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Schlage, uh, Wi-Fi smart locks. I was actually talking about this one to somebody uh, earlier last week. So it's, again, obviously the Z-Wave locks and such are mm. built in through Z-Wave. Um, so it's not going to affect you there. But the Wi-Fi smart locks, um, it is nice to see that there. Because I think in the past, that was like very like people have been trying to get it in. And, and it's always been a hack and things like that. So it's nice to see that there's some official support there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, the Swedish track traffic camera feeds are now also available in Homestead, so you can get a live view of traffic uh, if you're in Sweden. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the actual name of the government department that does that. <laughs> like that's not going to work. So there you go. Yeah, if it affects you, look it up. Well, you'll figure it if it's the right one yeah. or not. Um, Vodafone Station. So it provides device tracker uh, support for Vodafone Station routers. So that's nice there. And Yardian has now support for the Yardin Smart Sprinkler Controller. So there you go. Nice. All right. Let's uh, quickly run through a couple of breaking changes. Um, so the HTTP mode or the HTTP web server piece here. So Home Assistant can't be put into an iframe anymore by default. Um, if you still want to uh, embed Home Assistant in an uh, or that UI in a frame, you can do so by calling uh, or sorry by disabling the 
use X-Frame options by setting it to false in the HTTP config. Again, this probably affects a smaller subset of people, but uh, if you do if you do have that, then something to consider there. So just on a point of clarification there, so home visits can still render other services. So if you've got you know local network Correct. items as a panel card in home assistant yeah. that can be used. This is actually then having home assistant as, for example, another panel in home in assistant frame. Um, or yeah. another website. Um, I'm guessing this yeah. is a good uh, security measure as home assistant instances are exposed to the wider world thanks to things like the Nabucasa. Um, if you've opened up a hole in your router and doing port forwarding to mm-hmm. your instance, um, just makes things a little bit more secure by default. Yeah, so if you want to turn it on, you you can still do it. It's just with intention rather than um, something else, right, where you may not yep. want it there. Absolutely. All right, we mentioned the weather uh, forecast service that brings that deprecates the forecast attribute. Um, so the next one on our list we have is MQTT device trackers will no longer always update when there is no state change. Um, this means that automations that trigger on a state change no longer are triggered if there's no change at all. So previously, if you had an MQTT mm-hmm. device tracker um, and it, the for the reason uh, there was another, uh, the same state was pushed to the MQTT topic, it would render right. an update in Home Assistant. Now Home Assistant's mm-hmm. going to say, okay, hang on, this device tracker is already marked as home and I've just got another update via MQTT to mark it as home. I'm not going to send an updated event and trigger automations for that item. Um, so it could be if you've got automations relying on that state being updated, you know, you may have to uh, consider moving maybe to like a time pattern or something like that and evaluating that way. Yeah, I think I do. Oh, that's only for device trackers, so that shouldn't be a huge issue. Yeah. Um, on phase Envoy, uh, so Envoy versions that are less than 3.9, so that's before the API, are not supported anymore because they require web scraping, which is, um, we've, they've moved away from web scraping a while ago now. So mm. um, so basically, I don't know how that works, but uh, basically just try and upgrade, I guess, if you can, um, and you can retain that. So Wave.js, so. The entity naming logic has been updated to be less brittle, as they explained it. Um, so, mm-hmm. therefore, ZWave.js entities that you have that you haven't given a custom name to may be renamed uh, during an update in ZWave.js. Um, okay. They are registered in the device registry, so entity IDs and uh, will not change. It's just the actual name of the device may change. Right. Um, so yeah, if you as long as you've, as long as the entity ID is remaining the same, you should be okay with automations not being affected. It's just going to be a, a random name in your dashboard that you may have to go and fix. All right. I think that's uh, that's mostly it. I think. Yeah. So we should do some housekeeping for him while we're here. Um, yeah. So we had a couple of people reach out on the Discord room. Um, so you might be hearing ads in our podcast feed. So. I think yeah. what we are, I don't know, no, I've, I can't remember how many birthdays we're up to now, but I think it's six or seven, something like that, maybe more. Yeah. Um, but my host has given me several warnings that, uh, you know, <laughs> this is your last time we're resetting this, right? Like you need to fix your traffic on your blog, uh, on the on the podcast site at least. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of our listeners reached out to us and said, hey, I do this for a living, Um let me help you guys. I've got an idea for you. So we've moved hosts um, to a professional 
podcast host now, um, which we're paying for. We can get now get better analytics. Um, as part of that, we are also uh, serving ads uh, to some listeners of the podcast to start to raise some revenue for our time and you know how we run the podcast. You know, pay for the software, pay mm-hmm. for the equipment that we use. Um, I think looking at our stats so far, the ads have only been on for a couple of weeks. It's 30, 35% of people listening to the podcast are actually receiving ads. So majority of people probably won't hear an ad in their feed, but for those that are, it can be a bit jarring. Um, when I just want to be clear here, we are not trying to get rich off this. This is purely just a way to yeah. pay for podcasting, pay for yeah. uh, the apps we use to record and edit and, and all that. Um, and also, you know, ideally we'd love to then be able to do some nice things to the podcast as well. Uh, my big hit list is I'd love to get all our episodes um, tra- uh, captioned. We can't use any of that. Uh, there's a lot of free captioning agents that you can use, you know, just like thanks to ChatGPT, you know, like write, like audio to text and, and all that. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, when we're saying things like Zigbee, ESP Home, Z-Wave, those tra- auto transcription yeah. services just fail hard, right? Yeah. Um, and then you add in, we've got guests, you know, you've got three different accents. Yeah. US English is fine. Canadian's fine, but Australian and anything else, it's sort of, is that even English that we're reading back um, after that? Yeah. So we do need some humans to, to transcribe. Um, yeah, and of course, there's just, yeah, I'd like to get more episodes yeah, out. And we, have, and we right. have tried it just for reference. It, 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 yeah. it does not work well. It <laughs> does not work out well. Um, so, yeah, we're still uh, experimenting with the ads. So um, at the moment, uh, you know, if we decide they're not working, we may move them to a different spot. Um cut them completely uh we did have some people reach out and say hey is there an ad-free version um we have a patreon page if you haven't noticed there are links in the show notes and on our website um you're welcome we will if people you know want to sign up for patreon to get an ad-free fee we will absolutely publish all the episodes ad-free of course um and yeah Nebuchadnezzar subscription Nebuchadnezzar sponsorship uh that's up to Nebuchadnezzar if they're still going to sponsor us um we hope they do, but yeah, as I said, this isn't a, a way for us to get rich by any means. It's a, yeah, how can we make the podcast better and pay for some of the things? Because um, yeah, yeah. Also, if there's if you do want to help out in another way, um, we would love uh, any editing support, uh, any you know, social media stuff, uh, anything like that. So if you're keen to help out that way, please hit us up. Our feedback at haspodcast.io. Otherwise, yeah, um, yeah, it just becomes a function of time and money. And, you know, we would love to be able to outsource a lot of the back-end stuff that we do at the podcast to mm-hmm. generate more content and, of course, um, make it better for everyone, right? Like I think uh, a lot of people have asked yeah. about transcriptions for the podcast. I would love it. I'd love to be able to search our previous episodes um, and see what we talked about 10 years ago, right? Well, not 10 years ago, but yeah, five years ago. Um, and yeah, I'd love to get more episodes out too. Yeah. And, and I mean, even, even there's a YouTube option as well. Right. So, um, which again, uh, feel free to subscribe, support us that way. Um, and yeah, I mean, on the, um, we're not inserting ads on the YouTube side, um, at this point, unless YouTube themselves inserts the ads and so yep. on. Right. Which, which we don't get, we're not monetized on YouTube uh, right at this point, at least. Um, so it's not like we're, we're doing that on that front, but, uh, might be, might be an option there too. Hey everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy video lock. It's a smart lock. That's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. 
It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. All right. Um, now to something that uh, we got a lot of feedback from the last episode. Um, I talked about my uh, Zigbee network devices, like my, all my battery devices going mm-hmm. offline, which was driving me insane. So we had a whole bunch of people um, reach out to me. Um, so thank you everyone that did uh, either comment on YouTube, sent me an email, um, ping me on Discord. I really appreciate it. Um, so Nick reached out um, and said, uh, I'm completely the opposite um, to your experience. I have never had a single issue with Zigbee. Um, and he said mentions that uh, he has a Sonoff universal Zigbee uh, USB radio. Um, he's running Zigbee to MQTT. And he has 47 Zigbee devices, and I think I had uh, 60-something uh, last time I checked. Um, and he had a coverage around 210 square meters over two floors, uh, which was pretty reasonable. So the biggest aha moment he had was when he stabilized his Zigbee network by fixing the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi spectrum allocation. Now, this right. is something that I have, uh, that I'm fortunate enough that I'm in a detached house. I don't have much uh 2.4 gigahertz traffic around me but it's something i was aware of so for those that aren't aware i thought this might be a good psa just as a reminder if you're having issues with your zigbee network um there are some software that you can download um depending on windows mac whatever you're using that can scan your local wi-fi coverage or how you work in networking so you probably know more about me than this um but yeah there's conflicts with zigbee and the 2.4 gigs uh, wi-fi spectrum so you've got to choose your right zigbee channel to avoid anything around there yeah i mean really they they use the same channel space right so it's Mm. uh based on that you might be uh you might be overlapping a little bit which isn't necessarily the worst but it might it might it could cause issues if you are right so um and usually it's easier to change um your wi-fi channels than the zigbee channels but it is possible to change change your zigbee channels as well so um which might be a better option potentially depending on if how your wi-fi is doing or if it's neighbor's wi-fi that you can't change yeah yeah there's there's always that yeah. Um, so Charlie, she reached out to me um, with an email and it said, uh, it's not the number of devices you have, it's actually your Combi 2 stick. And I thought, oh, okay, interesting. Um, so replace it with a Sonoff. I had exactly the same thing happen to me. Um, daily drop-offs, unavailable devices, I had to repair everything. I replaced mm-hmm. the Combi for a Sonoff and all the issues disappeared instantly. So um, I can report that I successfully... Um, migrated my Combi Zigbee network um, to a Sky Connect from Nabucasa. So um, Nabucasa sent out to uh, Rohan and myself free Sky Connects a few months ago. I had it sitting in the drawer waiting for a free weekend to migrate over and test it out. Um, 
this prompted me to then, all right, you know what, I should give this a try. Um, I will yeah. say I almost lost my Zigbee network in the migration. Um, it wasn't Ooh, tell smooth sailing. Okay, so um, I follow, so SkyConnect has a skyconnect.nabucasa uh, page. Um, so I went onto that yeah. and said, how do you want to set up your network? Are you migrating from another stick? Um, follow this. So I followed the uh, migration instructions um, and it got to a point so I first uh, took a backup. I went through the Home Assistant UI. It prompted me to take a backup of the network. I did that. Um, and then it prompted me, uh, said, okay, cool, insert your new radio. Now I'm running, I'm not running Home Assistant OS. I'm running a Docker container in yeah. my environment. So I had uh, two USB paths. I had to use two USB sticks plugged in at the same time. So the Combi and the Sky Connect. I had the paths mapped into the Docker container. Um, yeah. So I said, yep, I'll insert my um, USB radio. Now, in the instructions on the Nabucasa SkyConnect page, it looked, the screenshots have it that the SkyConnect is automatically detected. Use this radio, away you go. Um, that didn't happen for me. I was presented with what oh. stick are you migrating to? And SkyConnect wasn't in the list. It was, um, you know, like you're migrating to a Sonoff, you're migrating to a... Uh, hubs, bubs, you know, one of those um, uh, Z-Wave, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big combo Hub, sticks, I can't USB, remember the name. Whatever. Yeah, I migrating to a combi, what are you migrating to? Yeah. So I didn't know what to choose, um, so I cancelled out of that, um, did some Googling around, um, and then eventually, um, now what happens that when, once I clicked, once I downloaded the backup, then what happens is Home Misses does a soft reset on the combi stick. Okay. So, now, at this point, I've cancelled out not knowing, not thinking, okay, SkyConnect wasn't detected. I'll just go back and start again, right? No problem. I can't do that now because Home Assistant has already done a soft reset on the combi stick. Oh. And now my Zigbee network is down. I then yeah. go to do another migration. It takes it back up again. But this time it's doing a backup of a reset disk, of a reset combi stick, right? Right, right, um, right hoping that the sky connect will just get detected. So then I'm like, ah, oh, cool. So in my wisdom, I thought, I know what I'll do. I'm just going to, um, restore my home assistant from the daily backups that I do. So right. I spun up, uh, I repointed my Docker container to a backup image from uh, 24 hours beforehand. What I'd read online was that the Zigbee radio doesn't host any information. It's all based on your Zigbee database file. that's yeah. in your config directory. Yeah. Wasn't so. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case for me. I still had everything unavailable. Um, so something mm. had changed on that Zigbee radio. Um, so then I'm like stressing. Oh wow! Like what do I do now? Right. Um, so there is a restore button that you can use to migrate from a backup. Unfortunately, from what I could see, the backup JSON file that was taken automatically by Home Assistant is different to the JSON file that you can actually manually request from home assistant so if you go into zha settings there's an export right. json backup that gives you like a zha backup.json file that you save that's different to what the automatic backup system that the migration uses for whatever reason from what i could ascertain interesting okay so now i'm like okay cool i can't use that backup to restore this disk how do <laughs> what do i do right Luckily, somehow, for some odd reason, I had taken a ZHA backup in my downloads folder two months ago. I don't know for what reason. Oh, I was okay. able to, So any devices that I hadn't paired in two months, which would have been one or two, 
uh, fine. Anyway, I restored that to the Combi first to get my ZigBee network back up. And interestingly, mm-hmm. all those uh, devices that were offline, like I had a couple of Windows sensors that had gone unavailable, um, right. that which prompted me to test it out, came back online immediately without repairing. So I immediately knew, okay, this is actually not a ZigBee network issue. There's something going on with uh, the Combi stick, right? Like, um, Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I then plugged in, I uh, plugged in the SkyConnect. Once again, couldn't get the detection to say, you know, we've detected SkyConnect on your system. You also can't run two uh, instances of ZHA at the same time, whereas you could, yeah. so, uh, which is frustrating. Um, so I eventually killed, uh, I eventually uh, had to rename uh, what the path was. And I actually found in a random Google forum what, um, it asks for, you know, like uh, what IDs to use or something in the USB. I found in a random community mm-hmm. post, you know, use this ID number as the throttle limit or something like that. Um, use this as your serial path, which I matched to my Docker. Yeah. Prayed for the best, got it to then or connect to the Sky Connect, and then I re-imported that backup from a couple of months ago, and it just worked. Um, and I didn't have to repair all 64 devices. So... Um, wasn't easy, but uh, yeah. with a bit of Googling, yeah. thanks to people in the community, um, posting on the forums, I was able to get my Zigbee network uh, successfully migrated over to the Sky Connect. Um, and I can say I'm three weeks in now on the Sky Connect. I have not had a battery device go offline um, since then. And I also have some blinds, some Zemi Smart blinds around the place that are Zigbee based. Yeah. And I, they would just, they would report their status to Home Assistant, but I wouldn't be able to control them for whatever reason. So I ended up buying a Broadlink Pro to control them via RF. They have now uh, stuck. Like I have full control over all those blinds as well um, via Zigbee. So an, like an immense improvement over the Combi stick for whatever reason. Not bagging Combi stick, it was, you know, it served me well for many years. But for whatever reason now, moving to the Sky Connect has uh, greatly improved my Zigbee experience. So uh, thank you, Charlie, for reaching out. I really am like, very grateful for that. That's awesome. Um, it's interesting. Along, along that same same line, I was talking to somebody uh, last week. As you know, uh, Phil, I was, I was at a sales conference for, for work or whatever, and uh, one of uh, somebody I was talking to was talking about their uh, – the fact that they moved from ZHA to uh, Zigbee uh, MQTT and that, mm. that actually apparently changed their experience a ton, right? Mm. So they they were like, you know, this is this is pretty big in the sense that um, they had similar kind of issues, um, devices not showing up, devices dropping off, that kind of thing, or devices just generally being unavailable. Um, and and moving to, moving to Zigbee to MQTT made a bit of a difference there too. So I wonder if it's that combination of Conb plus ZHA etc. Yeah, um, was giving giving that issue. I wonder too if there is an update in uh, like to the actual USB uh, stick potentially. Yeah, that that um, would cover that. But uh, last I checked, that update is a pain to. Yeah, I, I would have had to like rerun. I think it's called Photon or Foscon, whatever they call the yeah the, the native I'm, app. If, and oh, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, that's only available on Windows too, which I don't have any 
There's a machine. No, there's a Docker container. There's a, there's a Docker container you can run. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I mean, I'm thinking of another stick that I updated, which had only yeah, Windows. But, uh, oh, but, you know what? It was my it was my Z-Wave. Uh, yeah, stick that was on there. So yeah, sorry. Yes, you are right. There is a Docker container for. Uh, but interestingly, uh, to, to update Oscon container, yeah, yeah, to update the firmware, they do have like Windows and Mac OS uh, update binary files. So maybe you can't do it through the Docker container. Um, Honestly, if it is, it's a lot easier for me to unplug it, plug it into my laptop, and just yeah, push it right. Like it's. Uh, so yeah, I yeah, um, that's. At least now, like, and I, I had read a lot of um, reports of people, you know, saying, oh, Sky Connect, you know, I'm having issues with this Sky Connect. I haven't had any issues. I've got the little um, thing plugged in, like the little extension cable that Nobukasa mm-hmm. have in the box. Um, I've plugged that in and it's been great. I am running yeah. the default firmware, so the one without Matter enabled, which apparently if you do right. enable Matter, has some issues. Um I just want Zigbee to work for now. Like I'm happy. I don't want to touch it anymore. Like just keep those battery <laughs> yeah. devices connected. Yeah, you have to remember as well uh, for these kind of radios to be detected, it has to be USB two, not USB three, mm. right? Um, that tends to trip up a lot of people because you think latest device you want to do three. Yeah, um, that's that's actually not the case. It's actually better on two um, or more supported on USB two. So something to keep in mind so if you have a option of usb2 or usb3 ports go for the usb2 for your radios yeah 100 percent. so that's why if you try it sometimes you try it on one port doesn't work you try it on another works great so there you go um so yeah charlie and nick thank you so much for uh reaching out and everyone else um yeah it, it's really it really is it, the problem is it's a mixed bag out there like some people saying oh, i'm using a combi i've had no issues i've yeah. got 40 odd devices other people are like oh yeah. So thank you, Charlie and Nick. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And to everybody else that sent us emails. That's it. Um, it's, I mean, something cool I, I just found. Um, I think it was on Facebook. Phil, I sent it to you earlier. Yeah, it was on Facebook. Yeah. Um, yeah and it was uh, the, the bubble card, which is just, we'll leave a link to the GitHub page. Um, but it just looks like a really nice uh, card collection there. Um, so it's a nice like little pop-up touch kind of thing. Yeah, it looks where like it does like pop-ups. Like it, it reminds like it's beautifully designed. Um, it reminds me of yeah. um, uh, like it's not mushroom cards, but it's sort of um, like it's got a nice look to it. And yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm going to try it out on a few things because um, it certainly yeah. looks slick, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I mean, it looks like it's pretty, uh, pretty neat based on, uh, especially for like mobile UIs and stuff like that. Mm. It looks pretty slick. So, um, same Phil. I think I I eventually want to give it a shot, and you know, probably not the next few weeks, but I I do want to try it and play with it anyway. So, yeah, it's Will available be, in yeah. hacks um, as well. So yeah, take a look at the the GitHub page. Um, I always love like when people share like things like this, especially mm-hmm. UI, because I'm not a designer at all, right? Um, I can certainly muddle, I can make other people's good stuff look nice for me. Um, so I do really appreciate, you know, people taking the time to share things like bubble cards, mushroom cards, um, and just yeah. extending home business in that way. So, yeah, thank you for putting it on Facebook um, and Rohan too for sharing it because I really liked it. Yeah, it's, it's, I just thought it was super slick. So. 
Perfect. All right, now that is 2023.9 and uh, all of our updates. Here we go. Thanks for listening. Cheers. See you. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.